coming. Because you see, she would take the meat, put it in the pressure cooker, season it, put the water in it, tighten down that lid and put it on the lid. And then that little weight that's on the top, she would put that on top. Eventually, eventually, the steam started to come out. And you began to hear this. And then for the next hour, it just kept going. Now today, the pressure cookers, they have these nice little valves on them and everything. Else, and they have these little weights that sway back and forth. Not that one. That one made noise. So that you knew when it quit rattling, you didn't have to ask when's dinner. You knew it was going to be shortly. Because she was able, when that thing, when she took that out, took the roast out or whatever piece of meat she had in there, and she would set it on the table and come eat, and you didn't waste any time because there were six of us. But now we're coming into Thanksgiving, and of course, Thanksgiving has to do a lot with food. And of course, the thing that comes to my mind the most is the turkey. There's also dressing and gravy and turkey. There's green beans and sweet potatoes and turkey. There's eggs and my sister-in-law makes this wonderful corn casserole. But did I happen to mention there's turkey? You see, sometimes it's a lot about the food. But most of all, Thanksgiving should be a time when we're thinking about all that which we have been given that we have been provided for, and that we learn to give thanks for that. It's more than food. It's about what God has provided for us. And this time of the season, it gives us that opportunity to be thankful for it. This morning, I want to take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5, and we're going to read 15 through 18, but we're going to focus on just one little phrase. God's Word says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, focusing on verse 18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. It, it does not say give thanks for all circumstances because there are a lot of circumstances in our lives that we really want to, don't want to give thanks for. There's things that happen that we don't want to give thanks for because they, they just, it doesn't make sense. Because, and that's why Paul says, in the circumstances. And the reason for being thankful is not to be found in the nature of our circumstances. Rather, our reason for being thankful is to be found in the nature of God. And so, as we dive in this morning, I want to ask you the first question this morning. Are, li are life circumstances distracting you? Are life's circumstances distracting you? Our lives are full of various circumstances. Just think of the holiday preparations, the shopping, the cooking, the cleanup, the travel, family dynamics, and think of all the other stuff that goes on during this time of the year. You have 
work-related circumstances. You have economic circumstances, relational spouse-to-spouse, parent-to-child, child-to-parent. You may be able to think of even more circumstances that may be surrounding you. Maybe you have a to-do list that's a mile long and you're trying to fit all that mile-long to-do list into everything else that you're doing. And it could be that, you know, there's some circumstances that haven't been mentioned that are just unique to you. Dealing with life circumstances can feel like you're in a pressure cooker. As the steam begins to build and it just begins to limit and compact and begin to boil, sooner or later something is going to rattle. And that weight just, just it begins to rattle so much that there has to be a release. And sometimes that release may come in at an inappropriate time. But eventually the pressure has to escape. In the Old Testament, 1 Kings, there's a story of Elijah. Now, we all know, most, a lot of us know the story of Elijah. Uh, and just for the sake of time, I'm going to have to paraphrase and give the Reader's Digest version of the story to get to where I want to go. Now, we all know that Israel was divided into two. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. There was Israel, there was Judah. Elijah just happened to be the prophet to the northern kingdom, Israel. They had a series of kings, and those kings weren't all that, they weren't the best kings in the world. And then along comes this king called Ahab. And this is what 1 Kings 16.30 says of Ahab. It says, and Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all of them before him. And if you were to read a little bit further, you would see that it says that Ahab did more evil or provoked the Lord more than all the other kings. That's how bad he was. It was so bad that he encountered Elijah, and it, when Elijah encountered Ahab, Elijah warned him and Ahab wouldn't change. And he said, okay, we're going to bring drought. And so Elijah prays drought on the land. So there's drought on the land. Ahab doesn't change. He marries this woman by the name of Jezebel. She becomes queen. She happens to be the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians. She brought with her the worship of Baal to the land. And, so, and then she also goes out and orders all the priests of the Lord to be killed. Well, it just so happens that there's another fellow, Obadiah, who happens to be the manager of the king's home. He is there, and he's also a worshiper of the Lord. Unbeknownst to Ahab, unbeknownst to Jezebel. And when Jezebel orders the, king, the murder of these, the Lord's prophets, what he, what he does, Obadiah, is he takes a hundred of them, sticks them up in a couple of caves, 50 in each cave, and then he feeds and waters them to make sure that they have sustenance. And now we come along the, the drought, due to, you know, the drought that was ordered due to the evil. Obadiah, or Ahab comes to Obadiah and says, hey, look, uh, Obi, I want you to take half the, the cattle and the livestock and go one direction. I'll take the half, go the other, and we've got to find some grazing land because everything's getting burned up, kind of like last summer. And so they do that, and on the way out, Obadiah happens to run into Elijah. Think of that, just by chance, you know. 
Elijah says to Obadiah, I want you to go back to Ahab. Tell Ahab I'm coming to see him. Well, wait a minute. If I go back to Ahab, he's going to know. Do you, you, you realize what I've done? I've stuck those, those prophets of the Lord up in the hills. And now you're asking me because you're not supposed to be here either. I, you're tasking me to go to him and tell him you're coming. Well, that's not a good thing. But he does it. And so Elijah and Ahab meet up. Elijah said, hey, I want you to bring the nation of Israel. I want you to bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 uh, prophets of the Azareth up to Mount Carmel. He does that. They all gather up there, up, up at the hill. Elijah said, I want to make a deal with you. I want, want us to get two bulls. I want us to take those bulls, divide them up, and put them on, on the altar for sacrifice. You call down your God. I'll call down mine. And we'll see who's got, who's got is God. Oh, man, that's a great deal. That's a great deal. So... The 400, 450 prophets of Baal, they, they come together, they make their altar, they split up the bowl, they cut there, and then they start dancing around and start making their chants and calling out to their God and everything else like that. And you ever wonder what Elijah would have been doing during all that time? I mean, it had to have been hours he was sitting there. Maybe he was cleaning his fingernails. Maybe he was just kind of taking in the nature. He possibly took a nap. I don't know, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I, I like to wonder, wonder, what was he doing while we was watching these people try to call down this God, this non-existent God? And so finally, about maybe you need to cry out a little bit louder. Because it's possible he's, maybe he's just meditating He's off meditating. Or maybe he's, he's overusing the restroom. Or maybe it could be that, you know, he's taking a nap. Or he's, take, he's gone off on a trip. But you need to scream louder. You need to get louder. So they get louder. They start cutting themselves and they start going through all of all those motions. Then Elijah says, okay, okay, my turn. So he takes and he rebuilds the altar of the Lord that was on Mount Carmel. Takes the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Puts them together. Puts the wood on there. Digs the trench around the, the altar. Puts three and a half gallons of seed inside the trench. And then he says, oh, by the way, I'd like for you to go get some water. You know, take, take four jugs of water and go down and get some water and bring it up here and dump it on the sacrifice. And now you have to understand, the water just wasn't over here. They were up on Mount Carmel. They had to walk down to a river or go to the Mediterranean Sea and get the water. So there was a little bit of time lapse in there. And so they bring up this water, and the water jugs are roughly around five gallons. So they're bringing up these 20 gallons of water, dumping it on the... Hey, guys, let's do it one more time. So one more time, they go down there, get the water, bring it back. You can imagine the anticipation of this building. 20 more gallons of water onto the, onto the sacrifice, into the trenches, soaks into the ground. You know, guys, just to make sure, let's do it one more time. 
So a third time, they go down, they get, the, they get the water, bring it back out, dump it on there, and now they're ready. And then Elijah, he's ready. And he prays. And this is what he prays. He says, O oh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trenches. And when all the people saw this, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Following that, Elijah tells them to take the prophets of Baal, the 450 of them, and put them to death because false prophets were put to death according to the law. Well, the story doesn't end there because now Ahab goes back to Jezebel. Jezebel, who was a big supporter of Baal, and he tells her that, oh, by the way, your 450 prophets have all been put to death because this is what happened. And so Jezebel sends back a notice, word back to Elijah and says, look, what you did to them, I'm going to do to you. Elijah falls to pieces. All of a sudden, he, he, he gets scared. He becomes afraid. And he starts to run. And, and, and to me, this is mind-blowing because here is, here is the prophet that just stood there and saw the work of God, the hand of God come down and do a miraculous thing. He saw people start to worship God because of what they saw. But yet he becomes afraid. And he flees. You see, that's what some, sometimes when circumstances, they begin to, when they change on us, they tend to compress us. They, they tend to limit us, our scope of what we see, because we start focusing on all of that which is around us. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. Why? Because he stopped looking beyond the sun. He stopped looking for what was important. And so after a period of time, the Lord sent a couple of angels and then the Lord himself appeared to Elijah. And through a series of events, and then finally a whisper, Elijah said, the Lord has spoken to me. And the Lord gave him a new, new set of marching orders, a new, new direction and everything, and, so, and Elijah went out and performed that and did what he was told to do. Living in the midst of circumstances tends to narrow our scope of vision. It tends to bring us into the reality of life and somehow we miss looking beyond it. And this brings me to our second point. Where are you looking when in the midst of your circumstances? Where are you looking in the midst of your circumstances? When I lived in Ottawa, Illinois, pastoring a church there, um, I was driving some special needs children to a special needs school up in DeKalb, Illinois. It was about an hour, hour drive, hour and ten minute drive. 
But this one particular day, because I have this one teenage boy that was a handful. Let me put it that way. He was always talking. He was always trying to aggravate me. But you learn to just accept it because I'd been driving him for almost two years. But this particular day, he was late getting into the car, which caused the other, me to pick up the other children, two children late. And it was, just, it was just one of those days. And we pull up to this one intersection, and I remember looking to the right, because he, he sat there on the front seat. I look out the window, and I remember seeing a telephone pole. Look to the left, nothing coming, I start out. And then all of a sudden, there's a suburban in front of me. Where did it come from? I have no idea. Accident. Scared me to death because I'm thinking of the kids. But the thing that happened was that I allowed what he was doing, what he had done, the things he was saying, to distract me from what I needed to do. I couldn't see beyond that telephone pole. I didn't inch forward, I just went forward. And that's what sometimes circumstances do in our lives. They limit us to a telephone pole to where we can't see beyond it because we're looking at the here and now. We're looking at what we want to see because we have to deal with now. And we lose sight of what is beyond the heavens. Throughout the Bible, we're told that and encourage that we need to seek the Lord. First Chronicles 16.4 Seek the Lord and His strength seek His presence continually. Jeremiah 29.13 You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Psalms 40.16 But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually Great is the Lord. Psalms 105.4, seek the Lord in His strength, seek His presence continually. Matthew 6.31a and 33, therefore do not be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of him and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then Paul in Colossians 3.2, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. You see, the more that we seek out the Lord, the more that we take our lives off of ourselves, the more we look at Him, the more we, we begin to understand His grace, His strength, and the development of His trust in that. When Judy became ill, You, I, you know, I had this vision of retirement. It was a great vision. We were going to travel. We were going to go places where Judy had not seen because as a boy, I had the privilege and the honor to travel throughout the United States with my family. A lot of places Judy hadn't seen. We were going to do that. We were going to go see our kids. We were going to, you know, do different things together. 
I was going to have the opportunity to drop Judy off at her sister's homes and myself and my two brother-in-laws would get on our motorcycles and we would go. I'd love to do that. I was going to do surf fishing. It didn't matter whether it was the Gulf or the Pacific Ocean. I didn't care. I just wanted to surf fish. But all these things, and then when Judy got sick, it was kind of like the, the steam coming off of a crock pot. It just kind of vaporized. It just all changed. And in the process of that change, where I was looking changed. I became looking at me. Poor me. Judy is sick, and she's really sick in the beginning of all this. I'm now doing the cooking, the cleaning, the grocery shopping, which I sometimes kind of find kind of fun. <laughs> I really do. I don't know, you know, I hate seeing the prices, but boy, you know. But anyway, and then, and then there's the laundry, and oh, I hate folding clothes. I really do. I mean, when Judy was pregnant with our firstborn child, I would go down to the laundromat and I would do the laundry and I'd bring it back and while she was sitting in bed, I'd just put the basket there and she'd fold them. But I was actually folding clothes. But it just seemed like everything has changed. I was now doing all of that plus all the driving because she could no longer drive. And that's what the circumstances did. The pressure began to build. I lost sight of who God was. I lost sight of what he could do for me. And when I took, off, took my eyes off myself, eventually, over time, my attitude began to change. My self-pity started to dissolve. And my doubt was being replaced with trust. As I mentioned, the more we seek Him, the, the nature of God, as I mentioned earlier, the more we seek that nature of God, the more we see His grace towards us. The more we seek God, the more we see His strength for our ability to, to face these circumstances and deal with these circumstances in our life. And then as we seek Him out and we begin to experience His grace and His strength, it is at that point that we... He reveals himself and we can begin to trust him even more. I love Proverbs 13. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And we're finding out in the book of, book of Proverbs on Wednesday nights, there's a plug, um, for the guys, uh, that wisdom is this ability to, to be able to look at all the different avenues, look at all the different ways that we can see something that is just not one-dimensional and we can figure it out so that we can be able to choose the straight path. We can choose the right way. And once we take our eyes off of ourselves, once we do that, then we can say thank you. Because we begin to see a God who's bigger than us. We begin to see a God who is just so much in love with us. We begin to God, we experience the God of his grace, his strength, and, we're, and in his trust, we can say thank you. 
And that's what Paul's experience. In fact, we come to point number three, and I ask, in the midst of your circumstances, are you able to say thank you? Again, not for your circumstances, but in the midst of them, can you say thank you? And that's what Paul's question was. We're looking at a guy. He comes into Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. He comes in and he says, he starts to set up shop. And he was there for a period of time because he became a tent maker. And so he's, he's tent making. He's, he's doing the work of an evangelist. He's leading people to the Lord. He's confronting the issues that is in front of him. And then all of a sudden, the Jewish contingency that's there in Thessalonica, they begin not to like him so much because what had happened is you had the Greeks with their pantheon of, of gods. And all of a sudden, the Jewish contingency starts to form in Thessalonica, and they, people started migrating because they only have one God. And here comes Paul saying, yes, we have one God, but that God manifested himself in the, in the person of Jesus Christ who lived, died, was buried, and rose again. And this is what we have in him. And so now the con these people who were leaning towards the Judaism are now being pulled away to Paul. And then we have the, those people who love to sell their, their images of their various gods and goddesses. And all of a sudden they're getting upset because sales aren't doing so good. And so they end up chasing Paul and his, and his friends out of town and, they go, and Paul goes to Berea. Well, guess what happens? The problems all travel to Berea. So Paul leaves Berea and heads down to Corinth. And from Corinth, he gets this letter because you see what had happened is Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to see what was going on. And then after a while, Timothy comes back to Corinth and says, hey, Paul, this is what's happening. And so Thessalonians basically is a book of encouragement. It's a book that, that you can, you know, you just send away and rejoice with because it's a book of thankfulness. It's a book of encouragement. Yes, there are some cautions written in the book. But it was a book that Paul said, you know what? I want to give thanks. I want to give thanks, not for the problems that I had and the fact that I was pushed out of there. I want to give thanks for the fact that people were coming to know the Lord. I want to give thanks for the ministries that are growing. I want to give thanks for all that is happening there. I want to give thanks for my brother Timothy who brings this good report to me. I want to give thanks in those circumstances. I was driving home from Huntsville because I was doing insurance inspections before I entire, retired. Driving home, and I can remember it as clear as day. Semi-truck, blue cab. Right next to me, I'm passing him. I'm doing the speed limit, <clears throat> uh, within limits. And... And I'm passing him, and I'm singing along to Bellamy Brothers is on the radio. You know, he's an old hippie, don't know what to do. Shall I hang on to the old city grab on to the... And then all of a sudden, the front of my car goes down. Whoa. Back off the gas, the truck goes past me, looking around for any of the other vehicles, no other vehicles. get over to the side of the road, get out, take a look at my right front tire. It's tattered. Wasn't a blowout. What we found out later was there's a little bitty cylinder of some type got pushed into the tire. And as I was driving along, it got forced out, and the air just went. So the tire, tire is tattered. I thought, great. Okay. 
I'm saying, okay, Lord, you know, I, don't, I don't know the reason for this, uh, but, you know, okay, just change the tire and get going again. Go into the trunk, pull out the little donut, put it on, get it all situated, just let down the car. Never use this donut. It's low. Really low. Well, there's just a town right up the road there, so I could probably make it if I'm really careful. You see, that, you know, being a guy, I, just, I don't want to give up. And then I got to thinking, oh, well, yeah, I can make it. So I get back in the car, sit down, put my seatbelt on. What? Oh, come on, come on, yeah, surely. Oh, man, left the lights on. Turn on. As if I turn the lights on and think the car's going to start. Wonderful. I have jumper cables. Okay, Lord, what's going on here? I'm out in the middle of virtually no place between Huntsville and some place, but... Ah, wait a minute. I've got car insurance which has roadside assistance. Call the roadside assistance. So I call the roadside assistance. 20 minutes later, they show up, fill up my tire, start my car. All is good. So as I think about this and I go through the process, I have no clue why that tire went flat, why it went. But, okay, Lord. I don't know why. But I don't want to thank you that my car didn't start. Because... What happens if I tried to dry on that flat tire? You see, I bought my tire at Discount Tire, so all I'm going to do is pay for the tax for the new tire, which is about 16 bucks. So, you know, okay, Lord, thanks for letting me, you know, buy my tire at Discount Tire. I'm not making a plug. Thank you, Lord, that my car didn't start. Thank you, Lord, I got to meet this young man who came out to start me and fill my tire with air. Thank you, Lord, that I'm safe. You see, it wasn't about the circumstance. It was everything that surrounded that circumstance. And the same thing with Judy. Began to thank God eventually. Thank you, Lord, that, hey, we're not going to as many doctor appointments anymore. They're spread out a little bit further. Thank you that she's getting better and she can fold clothes. <laughs> thank you, Lord, that she can cook dinner. Thank you, Lord, she's getting better. And so when I look at this, when I look at the circumstance, I look at being in the pressure cooker, what am I looking for? I'm looking for those things that I can thank the Lord for. Somebody wrote some time ago, don't know who the author is, and it's entitled, I'm th Things I'm Thankful For. I'm thankful for the mess to clean up after a party because it means I have, I've been surrounded by friends. I'm thankful for the taxes I pay because it means that I'm employed. I'll tell you what, I've never used that one. I'll be honest, I've never used that one. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug because it means I have enough to eat. 
I'm thankful my shadow who watches me work because it means I'm out in the sunshine. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. I'm thankful for the spot I found at the far end of the parking lot because it means I'm capable of walking. I'm thankful for all the complaining I hear about our government because it means I have freedom of speech. I'm thankful for my huge heating bill because it means I'm warm. I'm thankful for the lady behind me in church who sings off key because it means that I can hear. I'm thankful I have hearing aids, I can turn them down. I'm thankful for the piles of laundry and ironing because it means my loved ones are nearby. I'm thankful for the weariness and aching muscles at the end of the day because it means I've been productive. I'm thankful for the alarm that goes off in the early morning hours because it means I'm alive. And finally, I'm thankful for the old rugged cross because it means my faith is in Jesus Christ. This morning, we have the opportunity to exercise our faith in the process we call communion. And I think about that time, and, and I sometimes wish there was more recorded. Because it says that Jesus took the bread. And when he took the bread, he broke it and gave thanks for it. What did he say? What did he think was he thankful for? He was facing the cross. He was facing the worst time of his life. The pain, the suffering, the agony. was he thankful for? Oh, I wish it was recorded. And then likewise, it says he took the cup and he gave thanks. Take, drink, for this is my blood which is shed for you. You see, we all have our circumstances. We all have those periods and times where the pressure just tends to build because there's so much out there. But we know that if we seek the Lord, we find Him, we can, we can rely on His grace, we can gain on, rely on His strength and be able to trust Him. And by that, we're able to be able to say thank you for all that stuff that's going on and allow us to find our way through it because we're trusting Him. And here, we have the opportunity this morning to say thank you. Thank you for him for dying on that cross for us. Thank you for allowing us to be able to have access to the Father so that we can seek him, so that we can experience his grace, so that we can experience his strength, so that we can trust him. And so as you come and take this morning, what are you thankful for? 
Are you thankful for your salvation? Are you thankful for that relationship you have with him? Are you thankful for what God has provided and given you? So this morning I'd like to invite all of you who have come to know Jesus Christ, who have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. We as a church, we believe that anyone who is a believer can partake in the communion service. For those of you who are not believers, who have not taken the step of faith, we'd like to ask you to observe and watch. And if you have questions, I'm sure there's people that you know here or people that you would like to speak, could talk to and ask questions and we'd be able to take that time to explain it to you. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the relationship we have with him. Thank you that through you we have access to the Father and that we can walk through our life trusting you and all that we encounter. In Jesus' name, amen. That's your name The mountain shake and crawl I got